Okay, well, today we're going to look at the end of the world as we know it. We looked at the new earth last week, and we saw that uh, uh, heaven is a way station, essentially, for us. We, we do go to heaven uh, when we die, but uh, the ultimate sort of conclusion of the part of the story as it's given to us in the scripture is when heaven comes to earth and there's a new heaven and a new earth and God dwells with men that's kind of this key phrase in revelation that says that you know it's it's done it's completed the world has been made new the heavens are made new and now we've got a new Jerusalem and a new earth and there's no more pain but there's still excitement and there's kings and nations going in and out of the city and it's not the eternal Alzheimer's clinic that uh, we got inherited kind of from the Greek uh, idea. It's this vibrant earth without all the bad stuff. And so that's a wonderful, hopeful, optimistic uh, um, future that we can look forward to. But there is this kind of human history as we know it And the age we're in now will conclude. So we're going to look at the conclusion of this age today. Um, Actually, one of our uh, combatants here uh, said uh, she would really like to hear a timeline. And, of course, I started off with um, that when you understand prophecy, uh, trying to understand timing is very difficult uh, Uh, I mentioned the verse where Jesus was reading in the temple and he read the prophecy of Isaiah and then he rolled the scroll up and said, this is happening today. And he stopped in the middle of a sentence and the back half of the sentence was his second advent. So right in one sentence you had first advent, second advent. So uh, I certainly don't want to try to parse out a system that says, oh, here's what's going to happen because I just don't know. However, there's some things that we really know. At least at least I believe that are highly knowable. So we can go through that. Let's start with Daniel chapter 2. And Daniel chapter 2 has in it, I, I'm going to present to you, Daniel chapter 2 has all of human history prior to the new earth clearly laid out. So Daniel chapter 2, and let's start with, uh, well, let me give you his background here. Um, Daniel is um, part of the, is in the, um, uh, the uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, deportation, the deportation. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came in, sieged Jerusalem, um, subjugated Jerusalem, subjugated uh, Israel, and deported most of the people that were left to Babylon. Some, some remained. Uh, and there was a, multiple waves of people come out. And w- one of the waves, they took the princes and the nobility and all the kind of great... Um, it was a recruiting trip. It was kind of a recruiting trip. They went and they took all the best guys, put them in Babylonian University, and uh, made them eunuchs. That's who ran all the bureaucracy in the ancient Near East were the eunuchs. And so Daniel was made a eunuch. Uh, he and his three friends went through Babylonian U. They graduated at the top of their class. 
but they they didn't they even though they were ten times better than the next guys, they didn't buy it. They didn't leave their roots of their Hebrew roots. So he's now in this Magi class that is uh, uh, serving the king. So uh, the king has a dream and he puts out to the Magi and says, uh, I had a dream, I need to know what it is. And so the Magi say, reasonably, we'll tell us the dream and we'll tell you the interpretation. And he said, I want you to tell me the dream. And they said, nobody can do that. And they said, then I'm going to kill you all. I don't need, if you, if you, I'm just tired of being manipulated, you're all di- dead. So Daniel goes and says, uh, give me a little time and, and I'll ask God to give me the dream. And he does. So let's start in uh, verse, uh, let's say, uh, 27, 2.27. Daniel answered the, in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. But there's a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he's made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these... As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this. And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. But as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living. But for our sakes, who made known the interpretation of the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. And uh, the... the uh, Daniel and his friends and all the other magi were uh, saved from execution because of Daniel's uh, interpretation here. So here's the dream. You, O king, were watching. And behold, a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron, partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream. Now we'll tell you the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are a king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven, he's given them into your hand. And he's made you ruler over all of them. You're his head of gold. But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours. And then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be as as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. Whereas you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided... Yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong, partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of these kings... 
The God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break and pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. This dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. Now, this is what's going on. We got all human history uh, set out with this this statue. And Daniel here is is during the time of uh, Babylon. And this is uh, Babylon deport, deported uh, Judah in 586 B.C. Uh, they return, remember how long they were there before they returned back to the land? 70 years. So they're there 70 years and returned back to the land. Anybody remember why 70? That's right. That's the number of uh, uh, du- ju- uh, not jubilee years. What's the Sabbath rest? What is it? Sabbatical years that they didn't take, and he said, "I'm taking them." Okay. So they're there seventy years, and uh, Daniel stays. He doesn't go back. Uh, Ezra takes a group back. Come in, and uh, Nehemiah takes goes back and rebuilds the wall. So you're familiar with those things. So this is the era we're in. Uh, two other prophets that are during this same time period that are prominent. Who are they? Jeremiah, Jeremiah is, is, is one of them. Isaiah. Uh, no, Isaiah's a little prior. He's during the time of Hezekiah. Ezekiel's the other one. And you can kind of think of this as uh, uh, Daniel's a guy in the government. Jeremiah is the guy that's kind of the... Uh, Persecutor of the of the the kings in, in Judah, and Ezekiel's kind of out in the countryside in Babylon. They're all kind of contemporaries. So during this time period where Daniel is in Babylon, this the actual we actually go from the head of gold, which is Babylon, to the next empire. Anybody remember the name of the next empire? Medio Persian. Yeah. So the Medio Persian Empire, and the the event that we're most familiar with that marked the advent of shifting from Babylonian to Medo-Persian Empire that involves Daniel's what? Handwriting on the wall. That's right. Anybody here ever see the handwriting on the wall? So uh, if y'all don't mind scooting in a little bit and make a... Oh, so you, you found, a, found some space. There you go. You got a spot? Um, so we, we go from Babylonian to Medo-Persian and Daniel is still there for both of these. And, and Daniel said that which, this Medo-Persian king, kingdom is inferior, which is interesting. How can an inferior kingdom defeat a superior kingdom? And so that's been debated. You know, what does that mean? Uh, the best explanation I've heard is kind of embedded in the text and that said that basically Nebuchadnezzar owns everything. He's in total and complete control of all. And that's called a great, greater kingdom. Now, in our world, if we have somebody that totally is in, in control of all, will we think that's greater or worse? Why would we think it's worse? Because we, like okay, well, we, we want it to be us. Well, yeah, I didn't say it couldn't be you. Uh, well, we know absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? So, 
but if you look at it, the beginning of this is an absolute total person in control, and the end of it is an absolute person in total control, which is Christ, Jesus. Yeah, and that's a good thing because he's a good king. But right before him, we're going to see the man of sin, which is also a guy that gets total control, and it's not pretty, and that's going to be one of the main things we talk about today. The beast, he's called. Okay, but this is human history. So we got the we got the statue, and he's got the head of gold, and then he's got this um, silver breastplate or uh, chest. And the next one, the the Medo Persians are defeated by Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great is what nationality? Uh huh. He's a Greek. He's actually Macedonian, but he he uh, adopts the Greek culture and becomes the head of the Greek state. And this is all, you can read, uh, you can read future or uh, additional prophecies in Daniel. And he actually goes into some degree of de- detail here. Alexander is called this furious goat that goes out and just everything he sees, he just knocks it over because he's just uh, conquering the whole world. But when Alexander's a very young man, he dies... And he divvies up the kingdom to his four generals. And all this is set out in Daniel. Now remember, Daniel's back here, you know, in the 600 B.C. time frame. And even though he is, uh, lives into the Medio persian he's actually telling this dream to who? Nebuchadnezzar, who's Babylonian, right? You king are the king of kings. And interestingly, one of the dooms that he pronounces on uh, his grandson, that at the handwriting on the wall is... You saw what happened to your grandfather, how God humbled him, and he submitted his knee to God, and you didn't pay attention. So now this doom's coming upon you. But he's telling him this, and we've got thousands of years of history in front of us, and this is all being pronounced very, very uh, specifically. Uh, Now, what does that tell us about human history? What does that tell us about human history? We can learn from it. What else? Somebody's not surprised. Somebody's not surprised by that. Yeah, God's kind of got all this under control, right? We we can have this is really cool. We can have a lot of confidence that it's not left to chance what's going to happen, uh, which I find immense immense comfort in. So Alexander the Great divvies his uh, kingdom to his four generals. So the four generals then start four kingdoms. One is a Greek kingdom. One is a Macedonian kingdom. That's, uh, you know, the hometown kingdom, if you will. One is a Persian kingdom. And one is an Egyptian kingdom. And this is all kind of in the 300 B.C.-ish time frame, Alexander. And all this is being told, you know, hundreds of years prior. So uh, he divvies this up. And the Persian kingdom ends up with a name. Anybody remember the name of the Persian kingdom? Seleucid. This is the Seleucids. I'm, I'm sure I'm misspelling this. And the Egyptian kingdom ends up with a name. Yeah, the, the Ptolemies. Ptolemies. Ptolemaic kingdom. And these Greek and Macedonian, we never hear anything about because they get just absorbed by Rome almost right off the bat. They just kind of, we're with you. We don't want to fight. So now you kind of have Rome and and these other two kingdoms uh, 
co- coexisting, and somebody's got to win out, right? One of the two has to win out, and there's a huge battle that kind of determ- determines which of the two wins out, and it's mainly between the Egyptian kingdom and the Roman kingdom, and anybody remember kind of who the main players in that are? The Ptolemaic, and again, these are Greeks. Uh, Mark Antony, yeah, Mark Antony, which side is he on? He's a Roman, which side is he on, the Egyptian or the Roman? He's on the Egyptian side, why? Because of Cleopatra. Cleopatra is the Ptolemaic uh, successor to the throne. She's the Egyptian queen. Because again, these are Greeks, right? The Greeks took over and they become the ruling class for all these other people that are not necessarily Greek. So uh, he, Mark Antony uh, sides with Cleopatra and they have this big battle and the Egyptians lose and that's what kind of flips everything to Rome. And so the next kingdom is Rome. And Rome is described very interestingly. What are some of the characteristics of Rome? And then after that is this kingdom of God. The mountain made without hands. The or the stone made without hands. So this Roman kingdom is the next one. It's, it's described very interestingly. What are some of the things that are described about Rome? You remember? Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. iron and clay. Iron, clay. First it was iron. And then it goes iron and clay. Okay, and what part of the body is it? Legs and feet. Okay, legs and feet. Legs has how many? Two. Two. Very good. <laughs> toes? Ten. ten. Okay, so we've got two legs and ten toes. And what keeps happening to these legs and toes? They keep getting broken, right? And, and, and the comment is they won't stick together very good. But what? The iron is very hard. And it kind of goes around crushing things. So it keeps falling apart and crushing things. So which era are we in? Are we in the Babylonian era? Well, we're not. Are we in the Medo-Persian era? No. Are we in the Alexander the Great Greek era? No, not, not, not directly. Although all these eras have had immense influence on us. The Greek the most. Why, why does the Greek still have huge influence on us? The, yeah, the Romans embraced the Greek philosophical way of thought. Uh, Are we in the kingdom of God era? No. No. So what are we? We're Roman. Now this really hit home to me when I got to go to Pompeii. Pompeii is a city in, uh, in Italy and it was covered up by Mount Vesuvius. Mount Vesuvius erupted and covered up Pompeii and so they, when they dug it up it's just kind of like it was the day it was, it was buried and uh, let's see do we, are we out of chairs we got anybody, anybody got a chair oh there's two right up here just for you We're, you can be on the front row alright so I got to go to Pompeii and we were, we were visiting the neighborhoods. Basically, you just get to walk through this town just like it was in... Uh, what, what, when was Vesuvius? Anybody remember? 100 A.D. or something like that? 79 A.D.? Okay. 
And I was walking through these houses and I go in, there'd be mosaic on the front porch and you walk in and there's like a foyer and you go in and there's a little patio in the middle and, and you maybe see the, uh, you know, the wall covering or the painting on the wall wallpaper and you see the uh, statues. And I said, nice house. I like it here. And I realized, I'm Roman. This is very comfortable for me. I could have lived in Pompeii in 79 AD and I would have bought one of those houses. I really like it. Water pipes piped in. Running water. Uh, I don't think they had flushing toilets, but they had, but they had running sewage. I mean, it was, a, for all practical purposes, an American city without internal combustion and, and electronics. Because that's just kind of the way Romans do things. Um, you, can, you can study kind of the way Romans went about stuff. And Americans are so Roman, it's really amazing. You can go start looking at our coinage and stuff like that. You know, have you noticed that the, the eagle has this little uh, bundle of, uh, of uh, rods on, under his feet? Well, that's a Roman symbol. There, Statue, yeah, there's all kinds. It's just basically, we, we still incorporate Roman stuff. We go build our buildings in Washington, D.C., and they all look like Greek and Roman temples. We, we just kind of do Roman things. Um, and, and this iron and clay is interesting uh, because Rome never got defeated. We think of Rome and empire as this thing long ago and not something that's still going on today. But what I'm telling you is Daniel 2 would tell us and I believe history supports through observation. Rome's still going on today. The Roman Empire was never conquered. What did it do? It just fell apart. Yeah, it just clayed apart, right? So you had this immense empire and it just got super far flung. And basically what happened was the taxation got so heavy that the people on the outer borders said, mm, you know... All, all the benefits we get from Rome are not worth the cost. We'll just keep the money here. And it just broke into pieces. That's all. Um, and it broke into two parts. So you have the um, Western and Eastern Roman Empire that divide. And does anybody remember kind of when the time the Eastern and Roman divide? Eastern and Western divide? So like 500 A.D., something like that? Anybody know exactly? So 500-ish A.D., the East and West divide, and now we have two empires. This actually started in uh, Constantine's era, which is in like 350 A.D., and Constantine established a new camp capital in Byzantium, which we know, now know as Istanbul, and... Uh, we were in Rome with a guide, and this was always curious to me. Just think about it if uh, the president popped up and says, we're going to start a new capital in uh, Omaha. W- yeah, would you think that was odd? What, what do we need another capital for? What, why, why would you do that? So we asked our guide in Rome, why did they need a new capital? And she just turned as straight as she could be and said, uh, because the Romans wouldn't worship the emperor anymore. He needed to go somewhere where they would worship the emperor. You see, Christianity had become about 10% of the population. And when they persecuted them, that made them happy. Because then they knew they were going straight into the uh, ex- approval and acceptance of God. And, the Roman, and Constantine said, this isn't going to work for me. 
I got to go somewhere where I can exert my influence properly. So he started this Eastern Empire. Now, whether she's right or not, I don't know. I just found it very interesting that that was her, uh, this tour guide's opinion. Uh, but anyway, whatever it is, he did start one in 350 AD, and somewhere around 500, the, the empires actually split. Um, and became two separate enterprises. The Western one then just broke into pieces. It became kind of uh, Gaul and Germany, you know, all, and it was just few, these little pieces, little kings, petty tyrants. Um, this is when the the knight era starts. Why, why do we have knights and castles and stuff during this era? Protection. Well, protection from what? Yeah, from each other, basically, and from the Vikings. The Vikings had this habit of coming down and raiding people. And so it was just kind of a law- lawless era. I was going to say, I heard something similar when they moved the capital over there. It was kind of more a protection thing that they're getting to be so many rivals, and which you kind of go along with not worshiping the emperor, you know, but the safer between him and his enemies yeah that's a good thought and and it turned out to be true because the western empire fell apart right around in this era this 500 era just started fragmenting uh, the eastern empire did not fall until 1453. Uh, now, by 1453, it was down to just a little Constantinople and the Peloponnese, that where, where Sparta used to be, that kind of that island at the bottom of Greece. But, you know, it, it was still up and going, so it, it lasted another thousand years, and the Turks took it and became the Ottoman Empire, part of the Ottoman Empire, which stood until World War One. So, we have this Roman kind of thing happening. It breaks into pieces. And then... Uh, along about, has anybody got a something I can erase with, or maybe a Kleenex or paper towel or something like that? Along about uh, 800 A.D., something new happens with the Roman Empire. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Okay. Oh, you went. <laughs> along around 800 A.D., something new happens with the Western Roman Empire. Anybody remember what it is? Christmas Day, 800 A.D. This is, a, this is something you really ought to remember in your, kind of your history stuff. By the way, prophetic questions at Gmail if you want to ask a question. No, no. This was in France, actually, that this event happened. A very... What is it? The Holy Roman Empire starts. That's right. And they crowned somebody. Remember who they crowned as Holy Roman Emperor? Charlemagne. Yeah, does anybody remember what Charlemagne means? Charles the Great. It's just, just uh, French for Charles the Great. So 800 A.D., we now have Charles the Great uh, crowned on Christmas Day. And this, this marks the beginning of the Holy Roman Empire. I think it was Voltaire that said it was neither holy nor Roman nor an empire. <laughs> It was mainly Germanic, French and Germanic, but uh, this is what this is what they self became self described, and this lasted until when? anybody anybody know when this dissolved? Napoleon. Napoleon that's right. You can tell who lives in my house. <laughs> okay, this lasted until 1806, and it was dissolved under the threat of Napoleon. And actually, Napoleon was after this crown. He wanted to be the Holy Roman Emperor, so. 
the standing emperor at the time just dissolved it, hoping that Napoleon would leave him alone. Uh, so we have, and how, how long is this roughly? About a thousand years, that's right. A thousand years. Now another fellow came along and saw this thousand year reign, or Reich, and he was German too, and he said, I'm going to institute another thousand year Reich. Who was that? Hitler, yeah. It was the Third Reich. Why the Third? No, no, actually it was three German empires. This is the first one. And then there was this interlude here where Otto and those guys are there. So he's going to start the third one. And uh, this is actually just uh, a, a history that is according to Nazi propaganda. The, the, the three Reichs. Uh, interesting that any, any dictatorship has to create its own history to legitimize itself. And that's, that's part of what Hitler did. Well, uh, during this same time period, uh, you had uh, Germanic kings. And what did they call themselves? The Germanic kings. Kaisers. Mm-hmm. Kaiser. Uh, during this time also, you had Russian kings. What did they call themselves? Tsar. Mm-hmm. Anybody know where the word Kaiser and Tsar comes from? Caesar. Caesar. Yeah. So Kaiser is... Uh, like the salad. Kaiser is uh, German for Caesar. And, and Tsar is Russian for Caesar. And why would they use the term Caesar? And Roman. Yeah. So, now we went to Vienna... Because this whole era here, Terry and I did, we, we went, this whole era of um, the Middle Ages was always a mystery to me. I, I, I didn't really understand what's going on during this time frame. And Vienna turns out to be like the center, the, the political center of this time period for the most part. And um, the Holy Roman emperors would have palaces everywhere, but they would have a main palace. And usually they were in Vienna. Um, the Habsburgs were the family that were sat on that throne for most of the time. And here's the way you can just kind of um, boil down this era. It just kept breaking into pieces and reforming. If you just want to boil it down. It just kept breaking into pieces and reforming. There were always a whole bunch of kings and they would come into an alliance. The Habsburgs weren't fighters, they were lovers. So what they did mostly is marry people. And every time they marry somebody, they'd create an alliance, and then they'd have a problem, so they'd marry somebody else. And this was this was kind of the way they tried to keep things together. So you got a lot of kings, and so it, the, the Holy Roman Empire would shrink and then grow and then shrink and then grow. So it just kept breaking into pieces and then reforming. Now, can anybody? So let's see. And from the czars took over a fellow named Lenin who was followed by a fellow named Stalin. From the Kaiser took over a fellow named Hitler. Okay? So, what do you think of when you think of Caesar, Nero, uh, Kaiser, Tsar, Napoleon, Hitler, Lenin, Stalin? What, what, give me some episodes that come to mind. 
Di- dictators, mass murder, yeah. Mass murder for what purpose? Control. To create fear for their rule. What else? Jewish persecution. Yeah, you know about the Hitler Jewish persecution. Do you know about the Holy Roman Emperor Jewish persecution? The medieval Catholic Church, Catholic meant universal at that point in time rather than being a denominational uh, uh, label. That's all there was. They uh, just took Augustine's theology about that the church had replaced Israel and concluded that the Jews were Christ killers and needed to be sort of purged. Uh, that was the theology behind the Spanish Inquisition. Uh, that was also the th- theology behind the uh, burnouts that they had in Vienna, uh, three of them. The uh, Jews were disallowed from owning property because they weren't Christian. Well, property mostly economically is a, is a liability. Um, if you happen to have minerals or a mine on it or something, it's not. But if you build a palace, it just sucks money up. And the kind of the, the way that the Romans thought about things was you want prestige, and so they kept building these palaces, but they wouldn't let the Jews do it. And the church said you can't charge Christians interest, but the Jews could. So they set up a monopoly for the Jews to be bankers. So they became immensely wealthy. And so the Jews would uh, had all these banking empires, and they loaned money to the Holy Roman emperors. And the, the Holy Roman emperors had a nasty habit. When they couldn't get enough money, they would just do the, the Esther thing and burn them out and repudiate their loans. So that's kind of the history we had there. Hitler, of course, in Mein Kampf, which was his kind of manifesto for his... Um, philosophy. Hitler basically said that the Germans are a warrior class and the Jews are the leaders of this merchant class and the merchant class makes everything about money and and just makes everybody soft and ruins the German spirit. So what we have to do is eliminate the Jews and reinstate the warriors. Uh, Mein Kampf today is still a bestseller around the world. What language? Arabic. Arabic. Yeah. Um, so this spirit still exists, which will come into our uh, conversation here. So what's the point of all this? We're Roman. Now what did these Caesars tend to do if someone crossed them? Crushed them. Yeah. So what, we, what, the, what the Romans did is they went to, um, they defeated Hannibal, who was Carthage, uh, northern Africa. And instead of just kind of taking over the property, they just went in and crushed everything to the ground and sowed it with salt. Which is not economically uh, beneficial to them. Well, what point are they making? You do not mess with Rome. 70 AD, they come in and they crush Israel. And they go into the temple and they raid it. And then they just crush it to the ground. Matter of fact... They don't just come in and knock it down because it's such massive stones and stuff. They bring in cranes and stuff and take it down. Because what point are they making? You don't mess with Rome. Uh, and this is just kind of the way... This, this, not, but Americans don't have this attitude, do we? I mean, like if someone were to, if, like if someone were to fly a plane into one of the big buildings, we would just say, no problem, Right? No, we say, we're going to come pave your country. 
And then after a little while, it, when we kind of worn off, everybody f- sort of forgets about it. Right? Because we still have this, this kind of ingrained attitude. Okay? So you you kind of get this? Now, so what, is, what does this have to do with biblical prophecy? Well, everything, because what, what's happening here is setting up what's, what's coming. So let's look at Matthew chapter 20. Well, let's see. Let's, let's look at Daniel real quick. Man, I am going to have to make this two lessons, it looks like. Daniel 9. He's got the 70 weeks prophecy, which is going to set up the whole kind of... Um, the whole um, period that's coming that's going to be the end of this Roman era. Uh, also in New Testament sometimes called the times of the Gentiles. Chapter 9, verse 20. Now while I was speaking, this is Daniel talking, while I was speaking, praying, confessing my sin, the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord, uh, my God, for the holy mountain of my God. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, this is the angel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I've now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I've come to tell you, for you're greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. So here comes the vision. Seventy weeks are determined for your people in your holy city. So this, this 70 weeks is for the people in the holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end to sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. That's a pretty good vision statement, don't you think? Okay, so when this 70 weeks is up, where are we? Yeah, I mean, we've got a perfect world now, right? No sin, no transgression, and the Most Holy is anointed and on the throne. So that's the end of the 70 weeks. That's what this is for. So now he goes into some time sequencing. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks, which means 69 weeks. The street shall be built again, the wall even in troublesome times. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Okay, so what are we talking about? This has already happened. What are we talking about? Who's Messiah the prince? Jesus, okay. And he came. How was he cut off? He was crucified. Why was he crucified? Atoned for sins, but but uh, nominally, why was he crucified? They were afraid of his power. He was rejected, right? They said, "No, we don't want you as king." And so they turned him over to the Romans and crucified him. He was cut off, but not for himself. Why was he cut off? To make an end to the transgression, right? For the whole world. And the people of the prince who's to come. Now, who's the prince who's to come at this point in time? Well, the Antichrist. But the Antichrist is not in this statue. So the Antichrist has to be part of what? Rome. Rome. Yeah. So we've got Caesar, Nero. 
Hitler, Lenin, Stalin, any candidates for a prototype in that group? Now we've already we've already seen what it looks like, right? Do you think some people thought Hitler might be the Antichrist? Would it have been for good cause? Yeah, I'm setting up a thousand year reign and I Okay. So the people of the prince who is to come, Rome, will destroy the city and the sanctuary. When did that happen? Seventy AD. Romans came in, leveled Jerusalem. Destroyed the temple. What conditions the temple in today? It's still destroyed. Okay? The end of it shall be with a flood. Until the end of the war, desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. Now we've got 69 weeks that have happened. What's the prophecy for? 70 weeks. So now we've, we fast forward and the, and the 70th week is standing out here by itself. And the 70th week is that thing we are looking forward to. And what is, what is, uh, what's it usually called by theologians? The tribulation. Uh, and, you know, people quibble. Tribulation, great tribulation. Some people call the seven years the tribulation and the three and a half back years the great tribulation. But, yeah, reasonable term, the tribulation. It's ahead of us. And it starts when he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week... He shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined. Now let's go to Matthew 24, and Jesus speaks of this same thing. Matthew 24. Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. Jesus speaking, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now there's a a ton loaded in this verse because Jesus is saying the abomination of desolations is happened or going to happen? Going to happen. Any doubt about that? It's in the future, right? Well, here's what's interesting. It's already happened. In 168, one of these Seleucid fellows that I talked about named Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus Epiphanes. Um... And I think it's 168, if I remember right, B.C. So he's one of these Seleucid guys. And this is before the Romans had uh, absorbed them too. And he decided he wanted to eradicate Judaism. So he made it illegal to circumcise. He made it illegal to do the festivals. He made it illegal to be Jewish. And he set up a statue in the temple... Most people think it was a statue to Zeus and forced the Jews to come in and sacrifice to Zeus. This is the abomination of desolations. Well, the Jews revolted under uh, a a group of people we know as Maccabees, the Maccabees. 
and and actually the Maccabees won. It was a it was a like impossible odds type thing. It was a God thing. Uh, their successors, by the way, are the Pharisees. The Pharisees are the ones that took their mantle. The defenders of the faith. The protectors of Judaism. The ones who are going to be willing to die to keep Judaism pure. Okay, that, that's, that's the Maccabee uh, notion. So this guy had already come in and done this. But it's interesting. And this is a, this is a point that I think is very important. Let's just back up a little bit. Um, where, where's my birth pangs? I don't see it. Well, 24.8 is supposed to be. My, the, the, uh, is anybody's, does anybody's 24.8 say birth pangs? Yes. Can you read that for me? My translation says beginning of sorrows. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, what? What happened? I was looking at another translation. Can you read it? Beginning of the birth pangs. Okay. Well, birth pangs. Anybody here had uh, a baby? <laughs> I see all women's hands raised. Okay. Yeah, recently. So, Shelly, you just had a baby, right? So, what is a birth pang like? It's painful. It's painful. Okay. And what's it like? It's a wave, so it comes, and then it gets real peaky, and gets real, and then it kind of dissipates, and then what? Then it comes back again. Then there's a rest, and then it comes back again, and what what happens every time? Just kind of gets a little stronger every time, kind of gradually. It might might dissipate for a while, but then it just keeps getting stronger, 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 and then boom, you have a baby, right? Okay. (laughs) Well, let's... Let's look at the uh, let's look at the passage coming right up to the boom you have a baby part. Look at twenty four four and Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name saying, I'm the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilence, earthquakes in various cases, in various places. All this is like birth pangs. And they'll deliver you up to tribulation to kill you. You'll be hated by nations for my sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, will hate one another. False prophets will rise up and deceive many. Lawlessness will abound. He endures to the end, will be saved. Now, this is talking about a huge period of history, so this can't be talking about you've got to be alive at the time when all this, when the baby booms in order to you know, go to heaven. This is talking about not being deceived. Okay? So you're saved if you endure through the, through the deception. This is the principle here. It's not talking about justification. Um, Let's see. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. Then the end will come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place. So we've already seen an abomination of desolation, but this is not the one at the end. We've already seen men of sin. Hitler, Stalin, all these Kaisers. Nero may be the worst. 
Now, at the time this revelation that we're going to uh, look at next week was written, Nero was fresh in everybody's minds. Wait till you hear what he was like. I mean, he was really awful, especially to Christians. So then flee to the mountains. So next week what we'll do is we'll look at... Sorry? Week after next, what we'll do, unless, unless uh, Steve wants to pick this up. Okay, you're going to do something different. All right, well, week after next when we're here, we, we will actually be um, in Disneyland next week. Is that right? Or so on the way to Disneyland, which fits in here somewhere. <laughs> Not, it's not. Yeah. Well, actually, I think the reason why people like Disneyland is because it's a little taste of the happiest place on earth. Everything's always painted. There's no trash. No one ever yells at you. No matter how nasty you are, the person on the other side just smiles and says, Thank you. There's no tears. Right? Yeah, it, that's why people pay 50 bucks or whatever so to get a little taste of that. All right. So we'll, we'll, look at, we'll look at Nero, we'll look at the man of sin, and we'll look at this beast character that's just going to be come out of this iron and clay. And, he, and we're going to look at a couple things that are very interesting. He's, you know, Jesus is, was and is and is to come. The beast was, is not, and yet is. And he comes out of the bottomless pit. Isn't that interesting? What in the world is that talking about? And he's going to do some pretty nasty things. He represents a city on seven hills. Anybody know the city of seven hills? Yeah. And he's the eighth king. Five have been, one is, and one's to come. So what we're going to do is take all this Roman background and we're going to see the culmination of it with the... Not just the predecessor in Epiphanes, but the real thing. Not just the, the uh, you know, sort of Hitler was a pretender, you know. We're going to see the real guy. And it is not going to be pretty. But he loses. <laughs> Thanks God that uh, you win. And that uh, we can look forward to those days. But... During this time period in the intervening when there's wars and and people lose their love and there's hate and there's persecution, help us endure to the end. Because if we don't, we lose out on all these blessings that you've given for us, all these things to learn, all these rewards to gain. Uh, Knowing you through trials and tribulations, you've made it real clear to us that that's in and of itself an amazing blessing you've given us that not even the angels get to participate in. So thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. Help us embrace this message of hearing, understanding, and doing that Revelation's giving us because we know that you have this in, in control and you've given us a part to play and that as we play that part, we are making an impact on eternity when we obey you. In Jesus' name, amen.